the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Ah, uh, think of it. Civility. <clears throat> Are you listening? I don't think so. Get it going right here or right now. This is New Generation Declassified, and you're listening to an all-new New Generation Declassified here on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week we head back to the new generation to talk about something from the new generation era. Uh, this week, continuing the new generation party, going to hold off on Coliseum Chad, perhaps for one more week, have a topic all picked out, but had an interview scheduled that went awry. So went back to the well to get my new generation declassified uh, topics out that I've had saved up. Um, so that's not a bad thing, you know, might uh, skip the month, but make its way uh, to semi-annually. I don't know. But uh, if you were looking for Coliseum Chad, it'll be here hopefully next week. I'm not going to just rush something out. I want to make sure it's uh, it's all good and up to the standards that I feel I've created for myself as I publish this uh, specialty uh, little podcast in between the New Generation Declassified episodes. Uh, but the timing of this one, pretty damn good, if you ask me. Celebrating 27 years of Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley in the WWE universe. Uh, but this time, looking at uh, the early stages, the 1995 and early 96 era of Hunter Hearst Helmsley, and we will venture towards the middle half of 96 as well. Uh, but nonetheless, Triple H, not one of my favorite personalities uh, in the history of pro wrestling, uh, whether that's having to do with him being a great character on the air or real life uh, implications. Not the biggest Triple H fan in the world. However, I do love the Hunter Hearst Helmsley version of the Triple H character. I love the early Blue Blood Triple H that we saw debut in 1995. So going back and doing the research and checking out some of the uh, the Triple H action, uh, the vignettes, the build, and what he was actually able to kind of um, accomplish in those early stages, uh, you know, you piece a lot of stuff together over time. And although we only knew him as if you were an inside fan, you know, if you remember him very uh, briefly in WCW before he made his way to the WWF, you know, you would see that this guy, um, you know, was familiar. Yes, but didn't have the same name. So he got the WWF branding, got the, uh, the very cool uh, blue blood Greenwich snob, uh, Triple H name, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, uh, a, a name that once you got branded with sticks with you. And although today they'll cut it and you'll only have a last name. Can you imagine if it was uh, to the, the rules that they have now that uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley just got uh, cut down to Helmsley, right? Imagine that. No, neither can I. Just saying, uh, moving on. As I've pointed out in the past, that uh, this new generation era may get overlooked for certain things. 
but following a very similar, very familiar formula with the debut of a character at the level of a Triple H under Hurst Helmsley, um, he was brought in as a just typical snob, affluent, nose up in the air, blue blood, Connecticut, New England, that style of uh, rich person that you know of. If you're from the Northeast, you know what these types are like. That's what Hunter Hearst Helmsley was originally portrayed as. To include like a slightly, um, you know, like a slight twang, you know, and a, a very regal sounding twang that he had. Now, I, I believe that there is some sort of connection with Triple H's real family, the Levesque family. I, I'm almost certain. Maybe it ended up being uh, not that far off what it was supposed to be. But just again, the the ability of Triple H to bring this character to life at the time uh, was so perfect for 1995. Although, you know, the tail end of 94 where we would start to kind of see the groundwork being laid. And then in 95, his actual debut. Um, to me, I, I remember, you know, when he arrived... But it's funny, I didn't notice, you know, Triple H was brought in in like the post-WrestleMania blitz that you usually see new characters. I didn't remember it being this early into the year. I thought it was a little bit later that he started to get the TV exposure. Uh, but nonetheless, he did not know the first TV match. Uh, we'll mention here in a minute, but going back and trying to find, you know, when was his debut uh, really? You know, not just the TV debut. Like, when did they start parading him out there in uh, house shows or maybe in a dark match at a TV taping. And I was searching through all the different listings on the history of WWE.com. The one I want to point out is just prior to his actual television debut, Triple H and the wonderful people of Omaha, Nebraska got to be uh, graced with a Triple H pin an unknown on April 24th, 1995 in front of 5,800 screaming fans at the civic auditorium in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, you know, nothing that you would really write home about, obviously for a, uh, debuting character for a new character. Um, but again, that's how we kind of saw it back in the day. You didn't just run right into television, into a feud, you know, it was a slow burn, but in this case, eh, they were just trying to get the legs under him, just trying to see what he was all about. Um, and here we go. We don't even get the name of his opponent at the Omaha, Nebraska Monday Night Raw taping uh, on April 24th, 1995. But it would be only a mere days later. It would be April 26th, 1995 at the Mark of the Quad in Moline, Illinois, where we would see the television debut of Hunter Hearst Helmsley pinning the very creepy, very despicable uh, veteran Buck Sumoff at two minutes and 15 seconds with a diamond cutter variation known as the pedigree. So the story behind that is that Triple H's original version of the pedigree was the diamond cutter because of his association with DDP when he was in WCW. Uh, Triple H brought this uh, move with him. And it lasted all of about, I believe, five matches on television before it was switched. And that was at the call of one Diamond Dallas Page who reached out to uh, to Triple H and said, hey, would you mind kind of shelving 
that maneuver and uh with all the uh the associations they had hunter hearst helmsley decided he would um go ahead and discontinue the usage of the diamond cutter you know it's even more of the way he did it he just he didn't apply it in the same manner that diamond dallas page did or you know or even like we would see the rko uh, kind of be the same exact move with a little bit of a of a Randy Orton spin. This was he would literally pick you up like you were going for a some sort of chin lock or an over the top uh, rest hold, and then just drop you straight down. And Buck Zumoff, being a uh, you know just absolutely putrid human that he is, uh, took the took the move pretty damn good, and it looked very effective. Uh, I'd also like to point out on this show. Uh, very good friend of New Generation Declassified. One Jerry Lynn uh, teams up with the great Lenny Carlson to lose to the Heavenly Bodies on this same TV taping. So uh, pretty star-studded uh, undercard of this Wrestling Challenge taping, which, as we know from talking about Wrestling Challenge and superstars for many, many, many months and many years on New Generation Declassified, they tape multiple shows in one night, you know, sometimes three, sometimes four. And then when they threw the action zone in, some matches are for the action zone. Some are for wrestling challenge. You know, they're filming interviews in between. If you're in the actual attendance, you might not know what the heck is going on, but you're seeing a shitload of wrestling going on in, in one single solitary ticket that you purchased for that night's event. And you get to see guys perform multiple times now i'm not seeing if hunter hearst helmsley had more than one match on this show it doesn't look like he did but you know just looking at it the smoking guns wrestled twice uh men on a mission wrestled twice lex luger and davy boy smith wrestled twice uh even the undertaker looks like he wrestled twice so you got a ton of uh action under one uh ticket price but it's pretty damn cool how they would do that much TV and, and how much organization a production facility has to have to be able to process that much television in one night and do this, not just at, in, at the Mark of the Quad on April 26th in Moline, but on April 25th at the Veterans Memorial Auditorium in Des Moines, Iowa, where they taped superstars. And then the previous night at the Civic Auditorium in, in Omaha, Nebraska, that's a lot of movement for a three-day span. And to, to go from Nebraska to Iowa and then on to Illinois, I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive that these guys could do all that. But obviously, we know so much about how the, um, the stress of that lifestyle put on so many guys. Uh, not surprising, you know, when we see some, uh, some of the bad habits that come out of it. Uh, but also, this is an interesting one. In that same taping, they were starting to build – for the body Donna's skipping sunny. So this was a definite new direction for the WWF's new generation. Also rad Radford, Louis Spicoli and his new character debuted at that same taping. So there was definitely a switch coming and going to some younger talent, but nonetheless, I'm unfortunately for rad Radford and for also uh, Tammy and Chris Candido, they did not have the impact that a Hunter Hearst Helmsley did and the longevity that he did now, whether or not you think that that's for, uh, you know, debatable reasons, that's uh, a completely different conversation. But I still like the fact that the Hunter Hearst Helmsley debut is done so perfectly. He is brutal with Buck Zumoff. And if you watch this match, the timing is completely off. I mean, they're just, they can't get on the same page 
at all. And Buck Zumoff is all over the ring. I mean, and this is a guy who at that point, you know, was a veteran. He had been all over the territories. He was in the AWA, the rock and roll Buck Zumoff. Um, and when I call him a despicable human being, that's because of what he's in jail for presently. Look it up if you'd like to. Uh, I prefer I, I prefer not to talk about that on New Generation Declassified. Doesn't fit the uh, the brand here, but um, they just don't click at all. And Triple H is just uh, kind of working with a bag of rocks, and it seems to be like it's really tough. As there's a fly here coming to my computer screen. Oh, he's gone now. And I really don't. Um, I don't think that this would have been the TV debut they uh, they they should have gone with. Maybe there was another one they could have used or had another uh, match that they felt would look good. But hey, he still uh, he still gets his first victory, and that's the uh, the bottom line. Um, but he gets right on the road afterwards, and actually, and this is pretty cool, especially for somebody like Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Triple H, Paul Levesque, who's from the New England area. He actually gets to wrestle on the last show of the Boston Garden, which takes place on May 13th, 1995. Uh, the final Boston Garden house show and WWF show, uh, Boston Garden being such a, a regular stop on the WWF uh, touring schedule going all the way back to the 50 or to the 60s with the Bruno San Martino era. Um, and this being the last show, uh, it was called A Night to Remember. The main event was Diesel pinning Sid with the power bomb and uh, Gorilla Monsoon as the guest ring announcer for the for the bout. But Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who does he defeat? Phil Apollo. Now, Phil Apollo, go back to our Doink the Clown episode where we talked about Ray Apollo and how we felt uh, Phil Apollo, the same uh, last name wrestler, could be confused for the babyface Doink the Clown. Uh, but Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, pitting Phil Apollo at six minutes and 38 seconds on May 13th, 1995, a $10,000, a 10,000 seat, uh, quote, papered sellout at the Boston garden. Um, just an unbelievable arena that it's very cool. And it goes to show you how long Hunter Helmsley triple H has been around that he was still in those classic arenas of that era. You know, the Boston garden, the Rosemont horizon, Madison square garden before it was renovated and looks completely unrecognizable. Uh, the Meadowlands, the Nassau Coliseum, these regular stops, the Philadelphia spectrum, these regular places, that the WWF would go, the Capitol Center in uh, Landover, Maryland, a.k.a. suburban Washington. Uh, these are wonderful arenas that they were in every single month, and it's just a shame. The only one really uh, kind of used anymore is Madison Square Garden. Um, you know, you think about the L.A. Sports Arena out in Los Angeles. You know, you think of all the cool places in the Detroit area, Cobo Hall, which is gone, uh, the Conseco Fieldhouse out in Indianapolis, um, Hunter Hearst Helmsley being on this night to remember show for the Boston garden. That's a pretty damn cool footnote. Uh, if you ask me, cause if you look at the star power on it, you know, it really wasn't their strongest effort. You got Brett and Davey boy taking on, uh, Hakushi and Jerry Lawler intercontinental champion, Jeff Jarrett defeating razor Ramon in a ladder match. That's pretty cool. That's different. Uh, undertaker pinning comma bam, bam Bigelow with chief J strongbow pinning Tatanka. Mm, that's a little weird, but you know, what are you, what are you going to do? Man mountain rock defeating Quang, the bushwhackers with Tony Gurria defeating the heavenly bodies. Interesting card. Uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley getting that second spot 
uh, could have been used as the uh, cool off for that hot bushwhacker opener for all uh, we know. But you got to fast forward a few months. You know, 1995 was just a, a, a slow build for Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Uh, just really killing jobbers left and right, you know. And then as he brought the pedigree into effect, this was a move that was not seen in the United States before and was absolutely devastating. And the one that everybody always talks about is against Marty Gardner, which I believe was actually in 1996. Uh, but that is just a devastating um, botched pedigree that unfortunately Marty Gardner really uh, did, just either didn't know how to take it the right way or I don't know, Triple H jumped too high or something, but it looks like uh, Marty Gardner's neck um, lands about two seconds uh, before his body even finishes coming out of orbit. And just he seems like he crushes his his skull and his um, neck seems like it's like uh, folded up like an accordion. It's pretty sick, but it's used all the time on social media. So I'm sure if you haven't seen it, you probably will at some point. Um, but 1995, if you think about what Hunter Hearst Helmsley is most famous for outside of just the vignettes and, you know, the snot nose in the air and the music, the harpsichord uh, theme song, which I do love and played at the beginning of this episode. Um, you think of Henry Godwin, okay? And Henry Godwin starting the year as like the, uh, you know, heel hired gun of the million dollar corporation, not really a, a member, but kind of like a hired gun or hired goon. And uh, Triple H and Henry Godwin start to have a few after Henry then turns babyface because what else spells uh, babyface other than a hog farmer? Um, and I didn't really like that for uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. You know, I thought that it was really, I know there was a, a build, you know, I know it's, you got to get to a certain level before you, you know, you, you get into the big time uh, spots on the card, but I don't know. I just think it, it, I guess with the blue blood versus the, you know, disgusting, gross pig farmer, it kind of works, but as the first, you know, real mainstream feud for Hunter Hearst Helmsley in the WWF. I don't know if I really love uh, Henry Godwin as the first choice. And I love me some Henry Godwin. Don't get me wrong. I love uh, Mark Canterbury. I think he's an awesome dude. Uh, the Henry Godwin character, I do like. I like the Godwin's tag team, but I don't know if I like this as a an actual feud. And the big one is, is really his big pay-per-view um coming out party is that hog pen match at the December 1995 in your house where uh, they just absolutely beat the shit out of each other with that hog pen and triple H is all sorts of bloody and beat up and, you know, ripped apart by the fencing surrounding that hog pen, which did have real hogs in it and had a lot of weird crap inside of that hog pen. And he takes a couple of bumps, you know, he trips and he slips on the banana peel literally inside of it. And, um, you know, it, it was a nice little few, but again, I didn't really love it. Uh, the buildup was okay where he was doing vignettes in different hog pens and in Henry's environment and blah, 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 blah. But to me, it just, you know, I, I would have liked to have gone in a different direction. Now, if you're going to put me on the spot and say, who would it be? I don't know. Like, I'm just glad it's not doink looking back, you know, or, or Ronaldo Montoya looking back. I'm glad it's not somebody like that. I guess Henry, you know, is a big dude. It, it looks cool, I guess, from an optics point of view, but um, it would be a stepping stone. Now, I also will point out at the 1995 um, Survivor Series, 
Hunter Hurstelmsley is on the team that loses to the Undertaker's uh, squad, which is uh, the return of the Undertaker after the broken face. Um, he's on that team, which, you know, consisted of just an absolute um, outpouring of megastars of the years down the road uh, with, with what a team it was. Let me just read off the uh, the members here. You had the dark side, the Undertaker's team, which was the Undertaker, Fatu, Henry Godwin, and Savio Vega defeating King Mabel, Hunter Herselmsley, Jerry Lawler, and Isaac Yankum, DDS, otherwise known as Kane, if you really look at it. Undertaker, Fatu is Rikishi, and uh, Triple H and Kane would go on to uh, do a lot only a few years later in the uh, the WWF and, and be main event guys and, and at the top of the card forever. So it's just kind of funny in the middle of this Survivor Series match, you get this, um, you know, glorified Undertaker squash match where I believe he's uh, uh, Hunter Hearst Elmsley is defeated um, with a, a choke slam by uh, the Undertaker and uh, Undertaker really dominated that match now, but it's not the pay-per-view debut of Hunter Hearst Elmsley for that. We would go back to SummerSlam in 1995. Um, it was in Pittsburgh. It was the infamous uh, SummerSlam that was main evented by Diesel and King Mabel. And that would feature uh, a classic, right? An absolute classic. Hunter Hearst Helmsley pinning Bob Holly by blocking a backdrop attempt and hitting the pedigree after the seven-minute mark. So that's your Triple H pay-per-view debut at the 1995 SummerSlam in Pittsburgh at the Igloo, uh, not really the greatest, most memorable show. Although, and we mentioned it not too long ago, the ladder match is the uh, the match of the night and is an absolute joy to go back and watch if you, uh, you haven't seen it before. But, you know, besides that, on the house shows, you got your Triple H and Doink the Clown randomly. You know, you'd get your Triple H uh, taking on um, Mike Bell as a sub for... Razor Ramon, because we get a couple Razor Ramon matches on the house shows. But uh, Phil Apollo and <laughs> Phil Apollo and Mike Bell did a great job of filling in for uh, Scott Hall for just a little while on those uh, the house show circuit. Imagine if you bought a ticket thinking you're going to see Hunter Hearst Helmsley versus Razor Ramon and you get yourself uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley versus Mike Bell. What are you going to do, right? Uh, also on TV, he beat the likes of Scott Taylor, who would go on to become... Scotty too hottie. He would be featured all over the place. Uh, Brickhouse Brown, who's a legendary Southern wrestler. He, got, he fell victim to the pedigree and Hunter Hearst Helmsley along the way. So they were always putting him with guys that they know they could have good matches with them. And they saw him at that level, which is why when you get that first big feud being Henry Godwin, to me, I didn't love it. I just, it didn't really, you know, get my go. I guess you would say in this, uh, this, this world, but in 1996, they would actually really kind of go out of their way to start building up Hunter Hearst Helmsley. And they had vignettes that would kind of cross over the 95 into 96 barrier, you know, and they would say, look, I had a big 1995, but 1996 is going to be even better. And that's where they kind of ramped up the lady, uh, accompanying Triple H to the ring. And, you know, we would see that become a, a launching point for Sable as we get to the uh, the WrestleMania 12 weekend. But in that lead-up between January and WrestleMania, 
you know, you saw Triple H getting stronger. You know, you saw him starting to, again, win more matches and be on TV every single week. Now, he starts a feud with Duke the Dumpster Drossy, which, again, isn't, you know, the, the best guy I'd pair him with, but still it brought him up. You know, it brought him to that next level, and their feud really uh, culminated with the f- debut of the free-for-all, which was on the preview channel before the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. And um, Hunter Hearst Helmsley and um, uh, Duke the Dumpster Drossy would have a match that actually, crazy enough, Duke the Dumpster Drossy would win and get the number 30 spot in the Royal Rumble. So for a heel like Hunter Hearst Helmsley, you think that's a golden spot. You think that that's going to be uh, his ticket to uh, you know the main event at WrestleMania. But no, Duke the Dumpster Drossy actually gets that spot. And uh, enters number 30 in the 1996 Royal Rumble. Now, whether or not we thought he had a chance to win that, that remains to be seen. I wouldn't be, a, I'd be a little spec- uh, skeptical about it, but um, it, it just, it was a good kind of culmination to their feud they had had on TV at, at some point. But again, I didn't love it for uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Uh, now, Hunter Hearst Helmsley does look pretty strong in the Royal Rumble match itself. We would see early uh, click-on-click violence, and we would see uh, Shawn Michaels and Triple H go at it with one another. You would get to see uh, a little bit of a, um, you know, first contact, I guess, between Shawn Michaels and uh, his buddy Triple H. Uh, But I'm just trying to look here. uh, I believe uh, Yokozuna being on the floor, re-entering the ring, throwing out Mike. Okay, yes, Vader. (laughs) In the match, uh, gets eliminated, but comes back in and throws out a bunch of guys, Triple H being one of them. And I believe we have a little bit more click-on-click violence. And Triple H is actually eliminated by Diesel at the 48-minute and one-second mark. So we get a little uh, click interaction. We see Shawn Michaels and Triple H. We see Diesel and uh, Triple H. And ultimately, Shawn Michaels would super kick diesel over that top rope to uh, win this match and then oddly strip at the end of it which was a little odd for that time in 1996 they were really trying to push the envelope um but we would see a build we would see triple h kind of um i guess you could say you know angling for some wrestlemania match and he would get it it was a mystery opponent there was speculation on who it would become then it was announced it was the ultimate warrior and then it became the what ultimate warrior are we getting on our way to uh, WrestleMania 12? There were rumors that he shaved his head. There were rumors that he was fat. You know, there was rumors that he didn't look anything like how he used to. And it was a new ultimate warrior. And we all, we've heard the stories. Ultimate warrior comes back. He absolutely decimates Triple H at WrestleMania 12 and um, shoulder tackle. And that's pretty much it. I believe the splash and that's all she wrote. Now the story goes, and I heard um, uh, the ultimate warrior tell this in person. And this was during the rise of triple H. This is about 2004 ish that uh, I was at a ultimate warrior Q and a with my uh, TMPT brother, Mr. John Paz and the ultimate warrior told a story about how, when he met with triple H to uh, go over the match, triple H had this big idea about you know what they were going to do and ultimate warrior said no it's going to be me hitting the ring shoulder tackle splash one two three it's over 
and Triple H went to management to complain about it. Ultimate Warrior got involved and called out Triple H for kind of being a puss and going behind his back to management rather than speaking to him man to man. So, you know, they obviously weren't going to uh, be sending each other Christmas cards uh, at that point. But, you know, it also kind of muddies the water for the Ultimate Warriors return there in 96, which that is a great topic to cover at some point. But I, I have to say um, Triple H served his purpose perfectly for the Ultimate Warrior because even though he was building his way up again, his biggest match is being with Duke the Dumpster, Henry Godwin. I mean, what do we expect? He's going to have a competitive match with the Ultimate Warrior? No. Shoulder tackle. Uh, body press splash whatever it's all over ultimate warrior i believe just stands on top of him puts his little jacket on and runs back to the uh, the locker room and you know triple h doesn't get affected by it we know it's not going to kill you you're not going to get demoted on the house shows by this point he's actually starting to work with Shawn michaels a little bit you know he's starting to get involved in higher card matches you know you buy your ticket to your wwf house show in 1996 and I'm just going to pull a random one out of the uh, out of the air here. Uh, and let's see. We have, uh, <laughs> I guess I'm in the middle of the Duke, Duke the Dumpster Drossy defeating uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley um, wing of the uh, the career. But let's see. Let's stop here. Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Oh, we flip. Hunter's now beating Duke the Dumpster. Um, but, yeah, here we go. Shaw Michaels and Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Uh, this one is in Hamburg, Germany. So the international tours, uh, they're a little different. He beats him with the super kick at 20 minutes and 50 seconds, April 16th, 1996. Uh, this is that tour. We talked about this one before. This is that tour where they kind of flip the matches every night. The next night, Hunter Hearst Helmsley defeats Razor Ramon in Berlin, uh, April 17th, 1996. I, believe in my journey of finding as much new generation content as possible. I've found a fan cam from one of these shows from 96. It might be the one from Berlin. And I feel like I saw that match recently. If it's an, there's an outdoor show that I was captivated by. And I think it's that one. Hunter Selmsley defeats Razor Ramon. Uh, but you see he's elevated. And then we know the story. He was supposed to win the King of the ring in 1996, but at the curtain call that would make the plans change. He took the heat for the curtain call, which he claims there was, there was permission granted that was debated. The Steve Austin spot takes, uh, takes shape. Austin 316 is born. It takes another year for Hunter Hearst Helmsley to get that King of the ring title. But later on in 1996, he would win the Intercontinental Championship in probably one of the most forgotten storylines of that era. And that is the in-ring return of Mr. Perfect and the bait and switch where Mr. Perfect has Mark Merrow put the Intercontinental Championship on the line. And wham, nails him in the head with the chair. Triple H gets the pin. And for one week, we get Mr. Perfect as Triple H's manager, which would have been ridiculous but I believe a lot of the Lloyds of London insurance stuff played into it. There were some promises about what was supposed to happen with Mr. Perfect and what he was supposed to be doing. Uh, there's the rumored um, poster that had floated around, floated around about with Mr. Perfect being announced as WWF champion. So there's uh, there's things that, that led to Mr. Perfect leaving for WCW and, and some disagreements, but 
nonetheless, it's a great image of Mr. Perfect in his wrestling attire with Hunter Hearst Helmsley, the new Intercontinental Champion, but they just didn't last more than, I believe, one week, maybe two, and then Triple H is, uh, excuse me, Mr. Perfect is gone by the Survivor Series. But I want to just dial, dial back to Sable. Now, the Sable introduction is done at WrestleMania 12. She's the uh, arm candy for Hunter Hearst Helmsley in the Ultimate Warrior match. That would then lead to the summer of Mark Merrow and Hunter Hearst Helmsley, which I do think was a great uh, storyline and partner for him to start to build the mystique of uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley and who he was on the card because they did have great matches all the time and they did have a lot of TV matches too. And that I believe is uh, what really pushed Hunter Hearst Helmsley to uh, the next level. There's actually, there's also um, a great uh, match from the Kuwaiti cup in 1996 with triple H and Savio Vega. That's out there from the uh, August 26, 1996 edition of raw um, the Kuwaiti cup quarterfinals. Savio Vega was uh, the man at that point, and him and Triple H fit really well together, and that match is, uh, is off the charts. I'm a big fan of that one. But outside of that, we'll kind of cap it for 96 with Triple H. We can go back and, and finish him up at some point. He still does a lot of stuff between 96 and then when we cut the new generation era off. But uh, he kind of slides through, um, you know, unknowingly in the uh, late 94, early 95 stage and just kind of festers and kind of sits in the middle up until that midpoint of 96 in the summer where he starts to really ascend to where he would hit that intercontinental championship around survivor series. And that's basically been uh, the story of the, uh, the great career of triple H Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Paul Levesque, which has now also ironically come to a close. What about a month ago where triple H officially announces his in-ring retirement. So uh, we bid you farewell, Triple H. Uh, again, not the biggest fan of some stuff that's gone on behind the scenes, but nonetheless, uh, you definitely have your place in history. And uh, 27 years ago, you debuted with that harpsichord and the pedigree, which was really a diamond cutter. Uh, and things have never been the same since. So we will wrap it up for this week on New Generation Declassified. I hope you enjoyed yourself. And we'll go watch some uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley action from 95, 96-ish. And uh, tell me what you think. Drop it in the comments. I'd love to know. Uh, if you would like to follow me anywhere, it's at Chad EMB on Twitter. It's at IB Exclusives on Instagram. Uh, if you'd like to go to my website, it's IBExclusives.com. If you'd like to get my Chadster t-shirt, it's BelowTheCollar.com slash IB exclusives. You could also get the IB exclusives branded logo t-shirt as well. And I would sincerely appreciate that. So stay tuned for what we've got to offer next week. And uh, I hope to see you there. So for uh, triple H, the game Hunter Hearst Helmsley, this is your buddy, the Chadster. And we will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.